0: So today's talk takes us to the year of 2,449 from creation of the world. So if we're now in the year 5783, so we'll go back in time to 3,334 years ago. It was just after the Jews left Egypt and we got 49 days let, counted. the Omer, the 50th day after Pesach, we, we had the holiday of Shavuos, where Moshe Rabbeinu came down and Hashem said the Ten Commandments. We learned that Moshe went back up to get the tablets. He comes down with the tablets and he breaks them because of the sin of the golden calf. He goes back up for 40 days and 40 nights to ask for atonement. And he, Hashem tells him that he will forgive us and then he goes back up for a third time, 40 days and 40 nights. And he comes down on Yom Kippur with the second set of tablets. On the day after Yom Kippur, Hashem tells him the commandment that he wants to have a sanctuary. He wants to have a mishkan. He wants to have a temple, a place where we could come and bring offerings and connect to Hashem. So from the entire world, Hashem is going to ask us to designate a specific place. And that's the place that he wants us to build a Mishkan, which is the tabernacle, which started as the traveling temple that we had forty years in the desert, later when we brought it into Israel, and we had it for a number a couple hundred years, wandering around in a couple different places, till eventually we have the structured temple in Jerusalem. In this temple that Hashem tells us, we have a lot of interesting uh details to the way you would think of it is like a king that wants to have his palace built and he wants to, his architects to make it a certain look, a certain kind of style and all the details. In pretty much in the Parsha turuma and Tetzava and then it is the two Parshas where God tells Moshe how he wants the temple to look and then he tells him how he wants the kohenim how they should dress and look, and how the offerings should work in the temple. Moshe Rabbeinu, in today's double parsha, so it's really two parashas, Bayakel and Pekude, in Vayakel and Pekude, Moshe gathers together all the Jews, hence the name Bayakel means to gather, and he gathers everybody together, and he says, here's the rules that Hashem told me, how he wants his temple to look, he wants us to make a dwelling place for him. And Moshe tells us over, all the details and how it should be done. He even assigns the chief um, contractor to make this all happen, uh, Betsal Ben-Aliyah, and they together with another person and the special craftsmen, they get busy to go and build the temple. Finally, on Rosh Chodesh, Chodesh Nissan, so just before the in a couple days from now is going to be Rosh Chodesh in another week, So on Rosh Chodesh Nisan is the day where the actual temple comes together. We all brought it to Moshe in the parts, the walls, the curtains, all the props. Moshe, with the help of Hashem, erects the, the, the whole temple on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And then we're able to start bringing our offerings every day, the first 12 days. Another one of the tribes bring their offerings and so it becomes the festive relationship that we have with Hashem through these kind of offerings. Now, today we're going to focus on a specific part of the structure of what Hashem wanted. So besides the actual props that were made, the menorah, the bread table, the washing basin, the kiar, the actual ark itself, the aron, where the tablets were put into with the kruvim on top of it, and you had the inner altar and the outer altar, the one for the sacrifice, the one for the incenses, the animal sacrifice, the one for the incenses. So you had, besides all the props, we also had the walls, and we also had a Curtain, or maybe a blanket, if you want to call it, that went over the actual mishkan. So you have the outer courtyard fence around of acacia wood boards, and then you had an inner section which was around the aron and the menorah and the shulchan, all that stuff. Two thirds of this inner space was the menorah and the altar. And the bread table. And then the other third was what's called the Holy of Holies. So there was a Holy Area and a Holy of Holies. That entire section was covered and draped with material. Different kinds of material. Now, I'm going to give you the three different layers of materials that had to be used to cover. And I'm just going to go through it in general. And then we're going to talk specifically about one of those covers in more specific. So you had the lower urease, it's interpreted sometimes as curtain, sometimes as a blanket. The point is it covered over not just the top, it also drooped down the sides of the walls all the way down to the floor. So it kind of really had it all covered in. So the lowest urease, the one that was actually touching The Mishkan, the altar itself, sometimes it's actually called the Uriah Mishkan. It's like the curtains of the Mishkan, because if you're looking from inside, that's the curtain that you would see. That was made up of fabrics made from animals, mainly from uh, sheep. And it was made to have the color of Techeles, which is blue. Argaman of purple. Tolas is a red color. Talashani and Sheish Mashzar, which was like another white, uh, white linen kind of fabric and look to it. So it was a colored kind of covering that had to happen. On top of that one was another layer of a urea. This is called the ureais ha'izim. It was the, the blanket cover of made from the fur, from the hair, of goats. Izim means goats. So that one was a simple, the natural color of goats. That was that it did not get, you did not dye that to any color. Then you had the Uriah al yaines, the higher uh, blanket cover. And that was made from the hide from from different kinds of animals, and different kinds of colors, and mainly it had to be a red dye, that had the uh, uh, tachash and nachash. had all different kinds of colors, again on the top or upper layer. But now, we're going to get into something specific about, the yiriyah which is the blanket cover, or curtain, that covered over the whole tabernacle, that was made from the goats. But before we get to that. First, the Rebbe has a general outline to help us to understand something when we approach studying of Torah. So the Rebbe didn't just teach us Torah, he also taught us how to think and how to learn Torah in general. So he says the following, this is from a sikha of a Yakub in, in volume 16 of the Lakute Sikhas on page 449. And he says like this, we have discussed many times that the commentary of Rashi on the Torah Rashi always explains any anything that needs to be explained in the literal narrative of the Torah that's what Rashi is coming to teach us the simple meaning of the what's going on in the Torah. Rashi's not t- teaching the mystical parts. He's not the halachic book. He, he doesn't teach you the laws. He, the, he doesn't get into that. Rashi wants us only to be able to help us to understand the simple meanings of the, what the Torah is telling us. Now, when there's something difficult that needs clarification, when you read just the actual Torah, and if you see that Rashi doesn't say anything he doesn't ask a question, he doesn't answer a question, he doesn't explain anything, we must say that if you look a little bit more careful in the text of the Chumash, you will realize that even if you had a question, you'll realize that your question is not even a question. In other words, you'll be able to answer your own question. Either because it's simply understood, or it could be, that Rashi explains something somewhere else in the Torah that he already expects you to remember and that's why he doesn't have to reiterate it, right? For example, Two weeks ago, we read Tetzava and the week before Parsha Turma. It had all the instructions that God told Moshe how he wants his temple to look. So Moshe tells it over to us. If you have a question, just go back two weeks ago and you'll see what he, Rashi explained over there. You'll already know the same idea. That will help you understand about the props or the garments and so on. In the poor portions of Vayakal and Pekude, this week we have a double Parsha. So in this week's double Portion, there are many things that are actually not understood in the simple narrative of the text of the Parshas. And some of them actually that are not, some of our questions that we have are actually because something of what Rashi tells us is all of a sudden making us ask certain questions. Says the Rebbe, let's ask at least one question of the Parsha vayakil and one question on the Parsha Pikude, our double Parsha. He's not going to get into all the questions he has on it, but at least one question on each of the Parshas, and let's see if we could understand and realize why Rashi didn't say anything, or why he did say something, and how it answers us, something that he said somewhere, and so on. So, in the Parsha of Ayakel in the first of the two parshas that Moshe gives over the rules, and he says, this is what you have to make, these are the garments, these are the clothes, this is the, this is the materials that you should use, and so on. So it says like this, all the women who had hearts that were devoted to the cause, in other words, the women who mostly it was the women, that all of the women really, weren't involved in the, in the sin with the golden calf, so they were able to be much more purely devoted in their devotion to want to donate things to the temple. So after Moses tells us what he needs, says the verse, this is in chapter 35, verse 26, it says there, and all the women that their hearts were given over to donate, they gave over with wisdom. They did it with their wisdom, the women wisdom. And what did they do? They spun... The hair of the goats. That's what it says. Because we needed one of the things, as I mentioned, that you needed for the temple was this blanket to wrap around over the tabernacle was made from the hair of the goats. So the women that were committed to help, they used their women wisdom, their chachma, and they spun the goats. Says Rashi, what does it mean? That they spun the goats. What do you think they did? They spun around the, the goats. They, they they made them drunk. What do you think they did? Because so the word the verse itself just says tavu es haizim, which means, Literally loosely translated, it means spun the goats. Obviously, it doesn't mean that they spun the goats. What, what helps us to if if you spin the spun a goat? So Rashi tells us what this means is they spun the hair of the goats on while the hair was still on the goat. Now that's already a talent. (laughs) While the animal is still there, right? You take, they, they took the hair and somehow cleverly they were able to do this. They were able to spin it and to make it into whatever they need to make it for the preparation to make it into this blanket to cover over the mishkan. Now, we can't really call the hair of the goat wool. Like if you shear up uh, uh, the, the hair of a sheep, you know, you can make that into a wool. So it's kind of like, like the, I'm going to use the word of the hair of the goat, because that's basically what it was. It, it, it kind, or you could say kind of wool from the goat. I don't know if that's the right translation word for it. But they took from the hair and they spun it, says the Rebbe, uh, one second. Very nice, Rashi. I like that idea. The ni- it's a nice spin on the on the idea. The verse says that they spun the goats, and you're telling me, Rashi, what does it mean that they spun the hair while it was still on the goat? And they did this with wisdom, you said first, right? Says the Rebbe, what's the benefit of this? What do we gain out of this that they spun the hair while it was still on the goat? I get it; that it's unique, fine, and I get that it's a, you have to be a very clever talented person to be able to do this but what's the gain of this by the way it says nashim in plural because you need a lot a lot of goats a lot a lot of air to be able to make this blanket to cover this thing and we're talking about uh, I believe it was over 20 cubits long so we're talking about maybe 30 feet of long and a t- 12 feet of width or more than that I'm not saying the exact numbers but you're talking about a big measurement here so the women did this with wisdom but What's what's the purpose of this? And you could even ask a little bit more, not just what's the purpose. You could say that you would think that if I shave off the hair off the goat first, then it would be much easier to spin to spin it, right? Because you have to take these loose fibers and you have to start to curl it and play with it and fluff it up until right until you till you do the whole process. So you would think obviously that if I Cut, shave it off first, it would be much easier to do it than while it's still on the back of the goats. So what are we gaining by doing this while it's still on the goats? Now, we understand that since the Torah tells us how precious the the work to do the work for the temple was so precious by the women, like the earlier verse in the Parsha said, that the men... Brought gifts, donations to the temple, gold, silver, copper, all the stuff that they did. They did, they, the men brought above from what the women brought. In other words, the women were much more swifter and devoted to bring their valuables to donate faster than the men did it. Because it says the men brought above from what the women brought. So that means they had they had they acted much quicker and it was much more precious to them and they, look even what they did they spun it while it, the hair the, the while it was still on the goats So why if that's the case so he asks one second there was other wolves that we need too there was other fur here that we needed from the other animals we needed from the from all those sheeps. As well, because we have to make other kinds of curtains. Like we just said before, on the lowest of the three layers of the blankets over the mishkan, we said you had a blue and purple and red and the white linen color. Yeah, He had all these kinds of other fabrics that had to be made also off the backs of the animals, that was shaved off the animals to make it into these blankets. So one second, when it comes to their... It says by the all the other materials that were needed for these blanket covers it says every woman with uh with that was wise it, with her heart they with their hands they spun those materials but over there it doesn't say Rashi doesn't point out that they spun those here on the back or on the animal while it was still connected to the sheep. So what's going on over here? Only by the goats it says that they spun the hair on the back of the goat. And not by the other materials that were used too. So what's going on? If, in other words, if it's that the women were so devoted and so swift to jump up in all the donation. then that's why they ran and they did this even while it was still on the back of on the goat. They should have done this also by any other animals seemingly. So that's the question that he has on Parsha Vayakel. Now, Parsha too. by the way, it's Wednesday today. And on Wednesday, if you read the Daily Chumash, Wednesday, you always read the last part of Vayakel and Pikudet. Because we break up the both Parshas into seven alias, right? When it's a double Parsha. So Wednesday is the always the combining Parsha. So we're going now into our question on Parsha Pikudet. On Parsha Pikude, he said he's gonna ask one question on each parsha. So the question on Parsha Vayakil is what's the gain that the women with their wisdom spun the wool, the fur from the goat while it was still on the goat's back and not the other animals when it came to the other they needed the other hair. Question on Parsha Pikude is another question. We have to understand, Moshe said in Parsha Pekudai, in the beginning of the Parsha, he says to Betzalel, Betzalel is El in the shade of God, that's his name. He was the talented craftsman and he knew how to make everything gold to silver and you know, he was in charge of the whole construction site. So Moshe tells Betzalel that you should make all the vessels for the temple right we went through all the list of the vessels right the menorah the, the the ark uh, the the washings all that stuff and the, the the altar and then he said you should make the actual tabernacle meaning all the walls so Betzalel said to moshe hmm he says one second you're telling me to make the vessels and then you're telling me to build the house the min ha'olam, the custom of the world is when you build construction stuff is first you build the house and then you bring your vessels into the house. How does everybody do it even till today? Right? If you want to have a new house, well, you're going to start shopping for your dining room table, your couch, your beds before you built your house. First, you build a house and then you bring the the, the, the stuff into the house. So B'Tzalos said to Moshe, you're telling me first to do it, like the build the vessels and then Build the temple, it should the way of the world the way of the world is to do it the other way around. First the house and then the vessels. So Moshe said, This is the way I heard it. But you should do it like that. You're right. Do it do it the way you, you're you're saying. And so Batsal did. First, they made the mishkan, they made, they built the walls, all the acacia woods and the sockets and all oh, the foundations, the whole thing. And then they went and built the props. Says the Rebbe, one second. Since the conclusion of Moshe and B'Tzal's discussion is that first you're going to build the props and then you're going to build the house. That first you're going to build the house and then you're going to build the props because that's minigolam, that's the way the world does it. That means, first, what do you do? You build the walls. And then you build a roof. That's the way the minigolim is, right? First, you do the walls, and then you build the roof. Well, that's actually the way it worked, even when Moshe erected the entire tabernacle. First, they picked up the walls, and then they brought the the, the vessels in. But we find in Parsha Vayakel, we find that the Chachmelev, those that were the wise-hearted people, first, they actually made the curtains that went over the roof, the blanket covers that covered the roof. And then they made the boards for the walls. Actually, that's the way they were commanded in Parsha Terumah when God told Moshe. He'd also told it to him like that. First, he gave him the instructions for all the tapestries that's going to cover the Mishkan, the roof, and then he told him about the walls. Why? Why when it came to the roof, you you made the roof before you made the walls? Something sounds strange about this. If again if Moshe agreed with Patal that first you build the house and then you build the vessels, it should be the same thing for the roof and the walls. First you build walls and then you build the roof to put onto the walls. Why did they make the roof first? So he brings down from what's called the Bailei HaTosvis. You know, on the side of the Talmud you have uh, you have the Toysvis. And actually it's always on the side of the Talmud in the middle of the page. So the inside of the page is Toysvis. Okay? And just by the way, interesting to note that in the early days, this is just a side note. I'm just sharing with you that in the early days of, of when the Talmud was printed, it wasn't sure should they put Rashi on the inside of the page or Tosvis and the outside or the opposite way. And it, people, they did different printing places did it differently. When I was a kid, my grandfather showed me one of the earliest Talmudic printings. He, he had a copy from 1526. A printed version of the Talmud, and he showed me that every page it changed. One page Tosis was on the outside of the of the page of the next page Tosis was on the inside. Anyways, the Bailei Tosfis, they try to answer this question: Why was the roof built before the walls when it came to the Mishkan? So he says because the the he says that you're not a there was a rule that you're not allowed to have the walls up without a roof, even for one minute. So how could you make that you should have the walls without, uh, 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 then you're going to have to start building the the roof if you're never allowed to have the walls up without a roof. So therefore they made the roof to the second the walls goes up, boom, you plop the roof on. That's what he says, That the Dubai Latosis answer. But the Rebbe says, this answer doesn't sit well. To say that the boards can't be up even for one second without a roof, in the simple narrative of the chumash, you can't say that, because in the simple text of the verses, we find that when the Jews brought the all the assemb- all the materials, everything that they built, they brought it all to Moshe when they were finished. Okay, and when everything was done, they brought them the walls, piece the you know the boards. They brought him the sockets. They brought him all the props that go inside. They brought everything at once, right? And they brought the curtains, the blanket covers, and everything. And only after they brought everything, Moshe put it together. That means it makes no difference in which one you're going to make first if you don't assemble it until we have everything ready. What's the difference which one you're going to make first? You're making the roof, you're putting it on the side. You're making the boards, you're putting it on the side. You're making everything else. Then you bring everything to Moshe. Everybody, thousands of people are carrying this thing to Moshe. is okay now, time to build it. All right, now what? Now it could get built, no problem. The The boards go up and the roof goes on. It's why do you have to have that the roof should be made before? So, in both places, Mayakil and Pekude, we don't find that Rashi should ask this question. This is a simple question that we have on the narrative of the story. What's called Pshuto Shall Mikra, on the simple text of the story. And we said before that if Rashi doesn't explain something, it must be we're able to figure this out by ourselves in an easy way. So again, what's our two questions? The question of Parsha Vayakil is why the women spun. They're here on, on the goat's back. What was the gain of that? And in that question, why didn't they spin all the other, here from all the other animals while it was on their backs? The question of Parsha B'Kudah is, Moshe agreed with B'Tzal, first you build a house, then you build the props. But when it came to the walls and the roof, first we build the roof, and then we build the walls. Why? Why was that necessary? The normal way of the world is you build walls and then you build the roof. Those are his two questions. One question on each parsha says the Rebbe, in order to understand this, we're going to have to understand two strong but straightforward questions on something that Rashi said here in our text about the spinning of the hair on the goat's back. Two questions he has, and if we can understand those two questions, if we get to that answer, then we'll be able to answer our two bigger questions. What was the gain of it spinning on the goat's back from these women, and why the roof before the walls. What's our two questions? He says like this, Rashi said by spinning of the goats, he said it means, when it doesn't mean spinning the goat, it means spinning the hair on the goat while it's still on the goat. Okay, so Rashi, what does he say? He says, Rashi said like this, let's recap the Rashi. Rashi says, The women that were wise, the wise hearted women, they are the ones that spun the hair on the goat. Everybody says, one second. Rashi, you're saying this backwards. You're telling me that they're smart, these women? But I don't know yet why they're smart. I don't know what they did. Rashi says, these women, they're smart. They spun the hair while it was on the goat. Why don't you start the other way around? First, tell me what they did, that they spun the hair while it was on the goat's back, and now tell me that these, yes, these are smart people. It doesn't make sense to say this about somebody, this is a smart person. You know why? Because this, this. First, tell me the novelty, and then we'll realize that these are smart people. Why the order of first, tell me the smart, the chachma, and then you tell me that they spun it on the back. Question number two. So I just want to clarify the first question. So he said this was, he said, when he said that this was a Chachma, he said this was a specialty of work, a special crafts of work. So he says it's a special crafts and then he tells me what they did. First tell me what they did and then tell me that this is a special craftsman work kind of style thing. Number two, Rashi says, when he wants to tell me what kind of crafts they did, he tells me, they did an extraordinary kind of craft. Rashi doesn't use the word of the verse. The verse says that they were smart. They did the They had this extra wisdom. Rashi t- doesn't use the word wisdom like the verse. Rashi says they used extra craftsmen or craftsmanship. Is there a reason why Rashi changes the use of word? The verse, the biblical verse says, it was with extra wisdom. Rashi says it was with extra craftsmanship. M- seemingly, Rashi's words we know already that Rashi's words are exact. He chooses his words very carefully. So why does Rashi change the use of word from the verse? The verse says chachma yisere, and he says umnay yisere. And actually, the whole source of Rashi that they did this with the, the hair while it was on the goat, where Rashi like everything, he gets it from all over the, the the Talmud and from different you know reliable sources. He got it from the Gemara. The Gemara is the one that says actually that the women had great wisdom. He uses the word chachma like the verse. So why does Rashi change from the place where he gets his whole quote about the hair on the back? He should have used the same wording that it was done by Chochma. So to explain this, he says the following, it's actually mind-boggling, like you jump out of your seat when you hear how simple and clear this becomes. So he says like this, when you look in the Chumash, when you study Chumash, you could realize and everybody knows there's verses. There's a verse that breaks up a parsha, right? You have verse one, verse two, verse three, and so on. Here you find something very interesting. There's a breakup of the verses in a in a unique order, and it says like this. We just we quoted this whole thing from chapter thirty five, verse twenty six. So over there it said. said that in 20, let's read verse 25 and then verse 26. Okay? Verse 25 says, every woman that was the smart woman, every wise-hearted woman spun with her hands and they brought spun threads, torcus, torcus, purple and chrisman wool and linen. That's verse 25 then in verse 26 in a separate verse it says and the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom they spun the goat here now seemingly it should have all been in the same verse altogether you're talking about the women's donations they donated right away. Besides that, they donated their gold, their silver, and all that kind of stuff right away. They gave their earrings, their rings, and Rashi says from the, from, from the private parts, from everywhere they donated their stuff. It's amazing how they committed they were. But when it comes over here to this section, it breaks it up into two separate verses about the, the hair that they brought. Right? Inver- again, verse 25 says, every, every wise-hearted woman spun with her hands, and they brought spun thread, of turkish, purple, and crimson wool, and linen. And in a separate verse, it mentions about the goat hair. Ah, says the Rebbe, you gotta be careful, read this slowly. If it says it in a separate verse, there must be something different about goat hair than all the other kinds of hair that was used. This is what he says. When it says the goat hair... It's not included with all the other items of of hair that was brought. And and in the second verse, it repeats itself. That all the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom. We have that twice. In each verse, it says the same words. Not just you're repeating, you're saying the donations in two separate verses. You're even repeating in the second verse again before the goat's hair. That the women whose hearts inspired them. With wisdom. Again, twice you have that, but in the second verse again. So it's understood that when they spun the hair of the goats, it must be that it was done differently than the way they spun the threads for the other colored materials that were needed. And what's the difference? That by the goats, they spun it while it was on and connected to this live Animal of the goat. Why? Why did you spin? Why was the game to spin it on the goat while it was still on the goat's back? While you have a live animal, says the Rebbe. That if you think about it, it's so self-understood that even a five-year-old kid could get it. As we mentioned many times, Rashi says always that his commentary is written that even a five-year-old child could grasp this. What are you grasping? Since the Jews gave donations and they brought it all to the ta- to the Mishkan to be what as a donation to Hashem, they wanted their money, their valuables to be as a donation to be given to the Temple. And just like in sacrifices, there was different kinds of animals. There were certain kinds of of, of animals, and in offerings to Hashem, there was also different kinds. We have donations that are made from animals, and we have donations that are made from vegetational stuff. We actually, if you remember back in Chumash Barathees, in the first parasha, it speaks there about the two donations of Cain and Abel. Right? We learned there that Cain bought brought an inferior offering to God compared to Abe's offering. And actually, Cain is badly punished for this. What kind of offering did Cain bring? Cain brought stuff from his field. He found things in his, in his farmlands, and that's what he gave as a donation to God. But Hevel brought animals as a gift to Hashem, which is considered to be a much more superior. It's much more valuable. Just think of the difference in price. Even today, right? If you buy some flowers or you buy an animal, you're going to pay a lot more for animals. Right? So that means that things that are from a living creatures are much more valuable than things that are growing from the ground, which is considered to be one level below the world of animal kingdom. Now, by the way, the Rebbe brings in a footnote here that Cain, by the way, was not punished. He was not rebuked for bringing A donation from his animal field. He actually wasn't, he was a, he was a farmer. He was a man of the land, actually. Like he cared, he took care of fields. But the reason why is because even in the vegetational stuff, he brought the cheapest crop that he had. So that's already considered to be insulting. You know, a guy says, ah, I want to make a donation. Yeah. I'm going to donate a car. Yeah, you have that. Organizations get phone calls. Where somebody wants to donate a car. What are you giving? You're giving your old Oldsmobile that doesn't work or you're giving a nice donation of a car that works so the organization can actually use it. You understand? So in giving, there's different levels of giving. Giving from a superior quality makes a big difference. Therefore, we see in our case the same thing. When it's possible... To spin the hair while it's still connected to a living animal, that shows you that it's a much more superior kind of donation. It's much greater than if you were to cut the hair off the goat and then spin it. Very nice. But once the hair is cut off the goat, it's not considered alive anymore, the hair. It's like dead hair. Right? It doesn't grow, so in other words, it goes down to the level of, let's say, vegetational stuff that you caught off the ground. Same idea; does it's not connected to life? So, therefore, the women they had an opportunity. They said, "Ah, we could do this. We know how to do this. We could figure out how to do this. Let's spin the hair while it's still on the alive, with connected to the life of an animal, which is a much superior kind of donation." Now, if we're going to learn simply that they brought the threads the way they were on the back of the animal. So simply understood means that they spun it on the back of the animal and then they brought the whole goat with these spun parts already. Now the, spin, the spun parts, we're soon going to learn, was actually part of a process that helped to when you had to get to the weaving. In other words, you, were, you helped the people that are the weavers they already they need the materials already spun, so you did step one with the women didn't just want to give the goat or just give the hair and let the next person figure out how to spin they wanted to do as much as they can, and they wanted to do it while it was still on the life of the animal while the outline still while the animal is still alive and while the hair is still alive connected because that shows a more superior now it's understood now that only the blanket cover made from goats, it was able to be done in this kind of way and not the blankets that were made that had to be dyed in different colors. Why? Because the the fur or the, the, the wool, if you want to call it, from the sheep, let's say, we had to take that off, right? And we had to dye it. We had to dye it different colors. As a matter of fact, we know that what colors did they have to dye? They When they had to dye it blue, for example, where did they get the dye color of blue? They got it from the blood of a fish called the chilazon fish. Okay, we don't actually know anymore the definition of, of this particular chilazon fish that has this blue blood. But that's what we used. That was the dye material to make the blue color. The tcheles means blue. By the way, in the Shema, by Tzitzis, it says to have Tcheles. So a lot of people try to find the blue Tzitzis if you could find this Chilazon fish. But because you can't really find the Chilazon fish, so really there's no point, there's no gain in having any blue Tzitzis. Some people get it, but it's not the real thing. It's just, you know, they enjoy having the color. But the point is that really the dye to make it blue comes from this dam of the the blood of the Chilazon fish. And the argaman color had to be purple. Now, how how could you dye something? You cannot dye the pieces of fabric while it's still on the animal. It doesn't work like that. You have to take it off and you have to soak it. There's a whole process to it. That's what that's the answer to our question. Why did the women only spin the goats here while it was on the goat and not the other materials because the other materials needed to be dyed in different colors, and the goat here was not supposed to be dyed. it stayed the, we kept it to the natural. God said, "I want this slayer to be only of the goats. He didn't tell us to dye it." So that's why only the goats here get spun on the back and not the other animals here. So in other words, when there's an opportunity to do something while it's still connected to a live animal, let's seize the moment and do at least that for the goats here. The other ones, you can't. Okay, you can't. But if you could, let's do that. And that's what the women did there. Now, from here it's self-understood that when Rashi uses the words he didn't say Chachma which means greater wisdom. He changed it to a word called a greater craftsmanship. Which is what? That they spun the goats here. It wasn't just because they had wisdom to understand this, that they were able that this had a greater advantage to. Of, of donation to donate this spun goats here that they had the wisdom. That, it was also because they had a better ability to be able to do this. Most people and the men didn't, couldn't figure out how to do that. How do you spin this air while it's still on the goats? And we all know, by the way, that goats are much more wilder animals than sheep. Sheep are much more tamed. Goats are much more energetic animals that jump around. It's not an easy easy thing. That's what Rashi wanted to emphasize. The greatness in the woman's accomplishment wasn't just that the wisdom they were able to do it. They had the skill to do it. It's the skill that counts here. And they realized... That actually, there's a superior quality to the actual hair if we could uh, spin it while it's still on the back. You know why? Because when the hair is still getting its life from the body of the animal, there's a certain moistness. There's a moist in the hair still because it's still getting its life, right? And it's still like alive, the hair. And there's a certain softness to the hair. Well, for that, the women hopped that opportunity and they spun it while they could get a nail not just a superior quality donation because it's, 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 it's going to be from an animal that's alive but also the actual hair is better so we asked a question in the beginning why would they have to spin it? what's the gain? that's the gain it's got just not just a spiritual betterness actually physically, materially it's even better quality of a donation because the hair is still alive Now, based on this, we can understand why they made the curtains, this blanket cover, the roof, the curtain, I'm calling it, the blanket that goes over the whole roof and it drooped down the sides, over the walls. Why they made that before the walls? We asked the question, if Mina Golem, the custom of the world, is to first build the walls and then build the roof, why did they build the roof here first? Now we can understand that because of two points. We're talking here about Women. The women, when they want to do something, there's passion, there's swiftness to this. And they wanted to grab the opportunity to do this special thing of spinning the sting, And therefore, they did it right away while it was still on the backs. And before you even sh- uh, shared it off the animal, and they wanted to be able to make it into, these, the, to, into this blanket. And then you're going to use it to cover over the boards. And now they don't want, they want it to bring right away the whole goat and right away, let's move on to the process. Let's shear it off when it's already spun so you can make it into the next step. Ah, guess what? If you're going to spin it and leave it on the animal, let's say, let's leave it for a few days. What's going to happen in a few days? The hair is going to start to grow. Now on that little bit of new hair that grew, it's not spun. (laughs) So you want to share it right away. So, that I could start making the process. So, this swiftness movement of these women that they were so inspired, Moshe said, You got everybody can make donations. They said, That's it. We're not waiting for nothing. Take our credit card. Let's get moving. We want this done right away. Let's not waste a second. That's the way their minds worked when it came to giving to Hashem. Now, what's very interesting here, the Rebbe says you could learn something fascinating here according to law, Jewish law, that there's an issue here that I make. I could be in a very small way, it could be that I'm making the animal uncomfortable. You know, I'm making the animal stand still. I'm not letting it be free in the farm, you know, in the fields. So I'm holding it. I'm, I, I, however the women did it, they held it in position to be able to do it. That's called Sarbay Lechaim. Because they weren't totally free while they were spinning it. So you see that in halakha, that if it's something that you need, even if it causes a little bit of discomfort to an animal, it's, a, it's allowed. Normally, normally you're not allowed to do anything that's discomfort for an animal. We're very careful about that. There's a the whole section of laws about that. But the halacha is if you need something, you're allowed to make the discomfort to the animal. Because it's something that you need. And the need of the human being comes before the animal. Just like you would save the human being's life first and so on in, in question of both and so on. Now, well, we're not, it's not getting into that totally. We're just pointing out this one point here about that you see here that the women spun it on the backs of the animals. Even when it could be that it's there's a cost of discomfort for the animal for that short period of small discomfort. Now. And since that, after after, let's wait, let's wait. Now, once, one second. Now, now, since the spinning of the hair on the goats is a, we said is a special craftsmanship, an additional craftsmanship that they, it it makes it better the quality while it's still on the animals. We understand from this that even on the next step of the making of the weaving step. To make it into this. So as soon as you get it to that. As long as you can keep it on the animals. Great. But as soon as you got to get it ready to the next step. You right away move it on to the next step. But now. He points out another fascinating thing. Fascinating. We're going to see now. What he calls. A wondrous. Halachic. Idea that we see out of. This Rashi. Which is. Usually, again, we always mention this, that Rashi is not about halacha. But nevertheless, you could deduce very interesting principles of halacha when you see Rashi's view here. There's This is a fascinating thing actually about the women's obligation in mitzvahs. There's a very famous question that he brings down from the Ragacheva. Go Gohan. You remember last week we spoke about uh, the Raghachever who passed away, I think we said 1936, a genius of a Torah scholar. And he asked the following question. Building the temple. You're not allowed to build a temple during the nighttime. Construction had to be done only by day, not by night. Now, the tabernacle, which is the Mishkan, is also referred to in the Talmud. In Talmud Erevin, they point out that the Mishkan is also called Mikdash. So it's the same standard of halacha. Meaning that both of them, you're only allowed to build by day and not by night. Now, what does that tell you? That if you're only allowed to build by day, that means the mitzvah of this construction is time bound. It's time bound only to day, not by night. Now, we all know that there's a rule. Which mitzvahs are women obligated to do? Women are not obligated to do a mitzvah if it's time-bound. If it's time-bound, the Torah says that the mitzvahs that the Torah, except for very few exception rules, in general, this is the principle across the board of the Torah that the women have so many responsibilities to do, to take care, they take care of the home, they're raising the children and all the other big responsibilities that the women have. So the Torah says that they're exempt from doing mitzvahs that are time-bound. You can't say, uh, you must do it within this time frame. It's not imposed on the women and those are the category of mitzvahs that women are exempt from doing. Now, according to the Rabbeinu Tam, he had, which is Rashi's grandson, by the way, he says that a, a not just is a woman not a, not allowed to do a mitzvah that's a a uh, that they're not obligated to do, even the preparation for a mitzvah that they're not, that's not a mitzvah that they have to do. If they don't have to do it, they're also not allowed to prepare that mitzvah for somebody that's obligated to do that mitzvah. Okay? For example, he says that the making of a lulav, to prepare a lulav, you know, you have to put the the, the willow branches and the myrtle branches and you have to tie them together, right? And then you could take the whole lulav, but the estrogen, you could do the mitzvah. So, women, because lulav is a mitzvah only for by daytime, so women are exempt from the mitzvah of lulav. They get a mitzvah if they do it, but they're not obligated to do it. If they don't which means if they don't do it they don't get a sin. Because it's time-bound only today, today time. It's a beautiful mitzvah, any mitzvah that they do if they're not they not don't have to. it's very nice. But the point is they're not allowed to prepare a lulav for a man who's obligated in that mitzvah. It's his obligation. She doesn't have the obligation. She can't prepare it for somebody that's... out. She can prepare it for herself because that's her business. But to prepare it for a man who's obligated, that she can't do. It's the same thing with tzitzis. The tzitzis, a four-cornered garment that has fringes, it says that by day, there's a mitzvah. By night, there's no mitzvah. In other words, there's no obligatory mitzvah by night to wear tzitzis You could wear tzitzis by night. Hasidim wear tzitzis by night. It's, as much as you can, you try to remember all the things that tzitzis does. But there's no sin if you don't. Now, that means, he says also, that women are not allowed to make a pair of for a man. Again, if you want to do it for yourself, that's a different story. But his point is that women are, are don't do mitzvahs which means that they're exempt, in our case, from spinning the wool for the temple. Since the temple is a structure that you're only allowed to build by day, not by night, that means the building of the temple is a mitzvah that's time-bound. Well, if it's time-bound, how did we allow the women to spin and prepare the wool for the temple? They're exempt from Time-bound mitzvahs. So the Raga Chaver says, actually, let me divide up the mitzvah of the building of the temple into two categories. He says, category one is, there's a mitzvah to build the temple. Category two, there's a mitzvah to bring offerings to the temple. Building the temple, women are exempt from because it's only a day mitzvah to build. But bringing offerings is twenty four seven bringing offerings women are obligated to bring certain offerings many offerings right women brings uh, an offering when they become uh, pure women if, if if a woman became a materr they bring they bring leprosy they bring an offering after a baby they bring an offering thanksgiving offerings sin offerings a whole list of stuff women bring many offerings so So he says, in the building of the temple, there's two points. One is the the construction part. You're right. Women are not part of that. They're not obligated because it's a time-bound mitzvah. But in bringing offerings, they're allowed to. Now, this is going to make a difference of whether the women are obligated or exempt from building the temple. If it's part of the building of the temple That means it's a time-bound mitzvah. Sorry, the women are exempt from this. They they, they don't have to do this. But if it's the second point that you're building the temple in order to be able to bring an offering, then they're obligated. Therefore, those parts of building the temple, that if you don't do it, the temple will be considered to be a non-kosher temple. Women are obligated to help out to build it because that's for the offerings. But those parts of the temple that it doesn't matter if we don't get it done. In other words, the temple is still a temple. Those parts, because it's a day mitzvah, a time-bound mitzvah, they're exempt from doing this. And therefore, in our subject here, here comes the brilliance here. Because the verse says, in Parsha Bikude, it says like this. They covered over The Ohel of the Mishkan. In other words, they made a covering over the tent of the tabernacle. What does that mean? They, the first layer, the first of the three layers, is the most essential part to be to to be considered a complete temple to bring offerings. If you don't have the first cover, you cannot bring any offerings. So that's so. Therefore, it's so important. Comes out that any of the coverings, like the goat cover blanket is not in a is does not make that the temple is not a temple if you don't have that to the point that we know that if a wind would come while we were in the desert and it would lift up the second layer of the three coverings, the second and the, the and the the top one, it would still be kosher to bring offerings. you don't have to worry about that because as long as it's covered completely from the from the bottom of the three coverings so now you understand the difference even in the choice of words in this verses here in the first verse regarding the lowest cover that was made from those colored different colored garments that we dyed over there it says every wise let's let's read the actual verse Over there, we said that in 25, we say every wise hearted woman spun with her hands. It says you spun it with your hands and then you brought it all these different color things in the verse about the goats. The goats here, it says all the women whose hearts inspired them with wisdom. They spun. They spun it. It doesn't say with their hands. If you look carefully, the first verse he speaks about the, the first layer that covers, which is essential in order to bring any offerings. So that that level, it says they did it with their hands because that they're 100% obligated to do because they have to bring offerings and they can't bring offerings if you don't have the basic cover there. So in order to be kosher, you need to have at least that. And now we can understand why Rashi says, Um-nus He said it's a, Greater craftsmanship, while the Torah itself used a different word and said it's chachma yisera, it's a greater wisdom word. See, he says like this on the verse that says you covered the mishkan. Rashi says the first covering was the covering of the goat's hair um, layer blanket. Comes out that according to Rashi, he says when do you call the temple that it's covered that you can now bring an offering when you have the goat hair level. And basically because of that, the women were obligated to be involved in the covering of the goat's hair blanket. Because that makes it kosher now to bring offerings. So he says that's called a the umnasira. They figured out this craftsmanship, the the ability to be able to do this, it's not just wisdom, it's a work. Rashi wants to emphasize that they were allowed to work for this layer of the covering because that has to do with a twenty four seven part that did, which is not time bound. That's why specifically he calls it a crafts work, a workmanship, and doesn't want to use the word chakma because Rashi wants to emphasize this point. and by the way, there's an interesting, he brings this down, but I'm not going to get too much into it, but the, here's a point. The Talmud says on Shabbos that if a person decides to spin the wool on the, while it's on the back of your animal, you own, let's say, a sheep, and you just say, hey, I'm bored, let me do this on Shabbos. It says you're exempt from it. Rashi actually says you're not exempt. Rashi says you, it's, 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 you're chayev. You're obligated to bring an offering for this. It's considered to be a sin why because rashi says like here he says this is called a work rashi says weaving or spinning while it's on the back of the animal is called a work so according to rashi you wouldn't be allowed to do this on shabbos either and we know by the way there's a rule that all the 39 laws of shabbos the definition of work we learn it from however work was done in the temple And since spinning it on the back of the animal is called work, therefore it's called work. And that's why you you would have to bring a sin offering if you spun any kind of hair wool on the back of the animal. Now, what is the favorite part of every Is The wine of the the Rashi. What is the, the, the hidden parts? The wine is the hidden parts of Rashi. And what is the lesson, the takeaway that we could take from all of this? Seemingly... It's totally not understood. Why does the Torah have to tell us at all that the women did this with their great wisdom that they spun the, the hair of, of the goat? Whatever happened, happened. We just said before, we're talking 3,334 years ago the women did this. Why is this relevant to today? Or how is it relevant to today? And as a matter of fact, when we built the permanent temple in Jerusalem, we didn't build these curtains at all. And even in the temple that's going to be built by Mashiach, it says the whole thing is going to be built and it's going to come down from heaven, a ready temple. We're not going to have to build the third temple. It's going to come down already. It's going to be ready to go. So in that case, why do I have to know about all this information about that what was done and those donations and how they did it? Then who cares? Well, how's that relevant to anything? And the second point, The part that we said that we built, the roof, the blanket, before we built the walls, how is that relevant to anything that's to our life nowadays? What they did then, they did then. Who cares? So he says from here we see two general major lessons that we could take from the story of the way the temples were built. And every Jew needs to take this lesson in all times and places. As the verse says, You should make for me a dwelling place in every one of your places. Every single individual has to make a temple for Hashem. So we all have to know how to make our own temple. The first lesson is that we take a lesson from the women. The women devoted their hearts with wisdom. That while Hashem gives, this is what the women taught us, that while Hashem gives a person a talent, An extraordinary talent. You have to know that Hashem didn't give you that talent for you to keep for yourself. You have to utilize it to help the entire world to make a dwelling place for Hashem. Look at the women there. They knew this wisdom. They knew how to do something. And they went and did it to build the temple, which is for the whole world. And just like the women did it in those times, the time of year, as they call it, right? Just as the women did it then. Having this special talent. That other people did not have. They understood that this talent was given to them by Hashem. And they have to use it out for this reason. And therefore. Even though they weren't commanded. To spin it in this way. With this great craftsmanship. The Torah tells us about this. To awaken our hearts. That whatever we could do. If you could do it in a greater craftsmanship do it like that. In other words, think about this, I'll use my own words here, but I think this is his point here, that to let's say you want to buy a, a, or make something for a mitzvah, you could do it just to get it done or you could do it to make it right and beautiful. And that's the point here. Look at the way the women did it. They taught us a lesson for 3, 34 years. We know now know this lesson. That if you have an ability, you have a skill, you have a talent to do something even nicer, you do it nicer. You're building a seat in a shul, make it nicer. You're building an ark, make it nicer. You're building, I don't know what, making food for a kiddish. Whatever you're doing. Do it to your greatest talents that you can. And just like it's regarding to in special, specific talents that a Jew has to know that you have to put yourself into it to make a dwelling place for Hashem. So too, it's in everything. And he gives us an example. He says, while Hashem makes that a person should make a surprise amount of money more than the normal. That you, then you, you know, it's not the normal for you to make this extra chunk of money. Let's call it right, and all of a sudden you get this extra chunk. What do you take out of that? That I'm supposed to add in sudaka and make this a donation to Hashem, because otherwise, why do I have this extraordinary thing that fell on me? And he brings down here, by the way, from a shicha, from a talk from the previous Rebbe in 1943. The previous Rebbe once said that the, in the time of the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe had a chassid. That had a very good livelihood. And whenever his business went really good. He would say. I know when I get home. I'm going to open my mail. And there's going to be a request for a charity. For something that the Rebbe needs. (laughs) Or there's going to be somebody knocking on my door. Collecting money for something that. A charity that that the Rebbe wants us to to support. For the people living in, in the Holy Land of Israel. And so on. That's the way the Chassid's attitude was. Because the money was never, he never thought about this extra money. I need to have extra amount of money to live. All of a sudden, wow, my business goes so good. I'm making this extra money. What is it there for? It's to help. So he's using the same lesson regarding talent and other, all kinds of blessings that comes your way. It's all about doing that extra gift. Number, then he concludes with the second lesson. How careful we have to be not to cause pain. To another person, if we're being so careful on the pain from the animal, which is not even a real pain. It's just an uncomfortableness. We're not talking about causing pain to the to the goat. We're talking about making it a little bit uncomfortable. That's not called pain. And what do we say? We're going to change the way the whole world does it. The whole world builds first the walls and then a roof. But since the women ran to make spun the the the, the, the hair on the goat, we don't want to cause any more pain for the the growing of new hair. That that's longer, it's going to cause a little bit of pain to the animal. So we cut it off right away, and we send it right away to the weavers, and they're going to go make this whole blanket. Even though the walls are not made yet, why are we doing that to save the little bit of a pain for an animal? So if we sh- if we have to be so careful to prevent pain for an animal, even so little. Doesn't matter. We change the whole way the world normally does things. Hashem asked us to make the roof before the walls. How much more so when it comes to pain to another human being. Especially to a Jew. Whose atem kruyim adam, Which is even like a closer level. And especially... When you see a Jew that's in a situation, as the verse says, that they're naked. The mitzvah is if you see a person naked, you must go and cover them. And as we learned already a couple weeks ago, uh, what what kind of nakedness could this also be referring to? It could also be referring to, to a Jew that's naked from Torah and mitzvahs. You may think to yourself and say to yourself, "Wow, this person—what does it mean he's naked from mitzvahs? He's not wearing—he doesn't wear tefillin, he doesn't wear tzitzis, right?" So the mitzvah is you have to cover the person, you have to help them get covered. That's the mitzvah—it's a black and white mitzvah in the Torah. If somebody doesn't have clothes, you must go and clothe them. So if a person who's 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 naked from mitzvahs and Torah mitzvahs, you could say to yourself, "You know what? I'll go help him soon. Let me first finish my davening." Let me first go, as the expression is from the shul, you go to your learn Torah, to your sheer. And then let me go and eat what's called Paschachris. It says in Shulchan Aruch, you're supposed to eat breakfast. So let me go eat my breakfast, because only because it says I should go eat breakfast. And then I'll go and help that guy to get covered. Torah says over here, hold on. We're talking about pain of another person. There's no greater pain when a Jew is naked from mitzvahs. Especially when you see that that person doesn't even realize that they're naked. That's even more painful. A person doesn't even realize that they're stripped from something. What's the rule? Change the whole way the way the world is supposed to function. It's supposed to function. You first build a wall and then a roof. No, we're going to do it differently to protect the animals. The animal rights and we're going to do it the proper way and we're going to first share off their, their, their hair, the first opportunity and then we're going to deal with making it into a wolf of the roof and then we're going to go deal with the wall. We're changing everything. Oh, same thing here. Let's change everything. First, go help the other person and then worry about your own order of the day. Your own way how the world is supposed to run. Because we're talking about the pain of another Jew. So don't follow the way the world goes if it's in the expense of the way the world is supposed to run for the pain of another person. And so too, even when it comes to learning Torah. Like it's brought down, he brings down a Pasuk, a verse from the book of Yeshia. Over there it says that you have to give bread to the hunger to the hungry. And what's real bread? Bread means Torah. That's the true bread. That's the satisfying food, is the Torah. So you have to, and you're not allowed to close your eye to this. So if somebody else needs Torah. You're going to have to give up from your Torah to go help another person to feed him bread, feed him sustenance. A person that needs a little bit of Torah in his life, especially if he doesn't even know that he needs it, how much more so he needs it. And then we merit to what it says in the book of Amos, which is one of the books of the Tanakh. Over there, it says in chapter eight, eleven. It says there that to the hunger, I won't have to give him bread. And I won't have to give the thirst water. Because all they're going to live off. Is listening to the words of God. That's going to be their sustenance. We're going to reach to that level. Which comes with Mashiach. And when we have the ultimate temple. That's going to stand forever. For all eternity. That's going to be built. Through this. That at the time of exile. Every single one of us utilizes our talents. That Hashem gave us. To be able to build the ultimate dwelling place for Hashem and may it be speedily in our days. This was a, this Sicha was edited by the Rebbe, as I mentioned, in volume 16. And it's a combination from a Farbringian that he spoke in 1976 and that he spoke on a Saturday night Farbringian in in 1979. So this is where we get this beautiful, delightful Sicha.